everybody. It's Tara Hatfield. I'm joined with my colleague, Don Gettinger, and we are continuing our conversation with X4 regarding culturally and linguistically appropriate services. Today's topic is going to be communication and language assistance. Sure. So the communication and language assistance domain talks about having assistance to individuals who have limited English proficiency and or other communication needs. It also means informing them of the types of language assistance services are available and having that clearly written both in their preferred language verbally as well as in writing. So making sure that you have those language assistance services that are very clear in their preferred language. It also includes making sure that there's competent individuals that are providing language assistance and recognizing that when you use untrained individuals that create some patient errors and cause um, potential for harm. And then also providing easy to understand materials and signage in the languages that are commonly used by populations within an organization service area. As we all know, communication, especially in healthcare, is extremely essential. You know, there's a direct link between miscommunication and poor outcomes and errors. And communication isn't just language and what is spoken, it's also being cognizant and sensitive to cultural differences. So things like eye contact, body language, everything from understanding how specific foods from different cultures may influence a treatment plan, for example. It is extremely important to have access to a trained interpreter for patients with limited English proficiency. There are times where providers might have family in the room and use them to translate. That's not the same as having a trained professional in healthcare communications relay that information between the patient and provider. There are also standards that exist on what a certified health interpreter is and what they look like. So, for example, some organizations may have written policies that prohibit the use of family and friends as interpreters. The other thing I would mention is the CMS's Office of Minority Health has a wonderful resource on how organizations can develop language access plans. It's a documented plan for how services are provided to patients with limited English proficiency. It tells someone who's picking it up that these are the organization's policies that help encourage and promote culturally and linguistically appropriate services. And it clearly documents what types of resources are available. So things like making sure that forms, signage, educational materials are available in various languages and making sure that those are known to the staff that are providing services is important. When you have phone services where you can press one for English and two for Spanish or another language so that you're able to communicate in your preferred language is really important. There are also things like um, I speak cards where a patient can point to the language they speak and then the person that they're communicating with can make sure an appropriate interpreter is found. So how do you know what languages you need? Knowing the community you serve and what languages are spoken can really guide an organization. There is, as I mentioned earlier, um, race, ethnicity, and preferred language data collection. That information is being collected ideally directly from the patients. And so if you have incomplete information about your patient population, it makes it much harder to understand exactly who you're serving and what their specific language needs might be. So one of the things that can be done is looking at public data on surrounding area demographics as a start and then trying to build that data collection from the patient population itself. 
It's not enough to just to have these services available. Staff at all levels need to be aware of the services and that they exist and how to point someone to them when needed. And they also need to know why the services are there and kind of the importance. So just, you know, highlighting the fact that communication is key and that we're trying to promote better communication between patients and providers and providing patients with a level of comfort that they're being understood and someone within an organization is able to you know, understand them and their specific needs is really important. Health literacy is another really key aspect. Unfortunately, oftentimes medical and health information is written or described at a very high level for an average person to understand. Even people who may have higher levels of education may not be able to understand it. So it's really important to avoid things like medical jargon and make sure that the information is being provided that includes things like, you know, thinking about visuals, clear directions, user-friendly designs. In this day and age, we've gotten a lot better at thinking about things beyond just written materials, but also looking at visuals and other things that can help explain information in a in an easy to understand manner. And this should be coupled with making it available in common non-English languages that are being spoken. These materials aren't meant to replace in-person communication between a patient and a provider, but rather to reinforce it. That's a lot of great information. I know so many of the organizations we've worked with on class have really struggled um, with the language assistance and just how to access those services and how to find those services in their local community. You definitely mentioned the, the Office of Minority Health as a, as a great resource. Are there any other online resources that can help with language assistance? Yes, there are professional health translator associations. There's like the American Translator Association that provides resources on what specific things to look for when you're you know, trying to find certified health interpreters. One of the things you mentioned, Dom, um, thinking about the community. And so part of thinking about what types of resources are, are available is also, you know, querying the community where an organization is serving and trying to identify specific resources that might be relevant to them. And there are numerous even health education materials available on, you know, the CDC's website or the Office of Minority Health website that provide specific types of material, let's say on chronic disease like diabetes, that have already been translated into multiple languages. So, you know, it's not about kind of reinventing the wheel and kind of making all of these resources from scratch. It's also about finding appropriate resources that have been done really well and using those because there are a lot of resources online that have been translated and visually are very appealing. And so, you know, we can kind of make use of those and kind of use those as a start. And then really understanding kind of your patient population, capturing that data to understand exactly what languages they speak. And then from there, you know, trying to identify where there might be gaps and finding other resources that may address them, or then spending the time to think about what creating the types of resources that are needed. Pooja, thank you so much for sharing your insight and expertise with us today. And listeners, thank you for joining us for the conversation. If you have any questions about class or how you might be able to implement that in your own organization, feel free to reach out to us at QSource and we'd be happy to help. And we hope that you join us again for future conversations.